Hi folks, this is Shaq Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is February the 11th, 2014. This is episode 1299 of the Survival Podcast. And real quick, a little word of advice for you guys. Today is the 11th of February, tomorrow is the 12th, the next day is the 13th, and then we have... The Hallmark fake holiday, St. Valentine's Day, which actually is a real religious holiday, but it's been made Hallmarked. And you guys are supposed to get something for your women. I've reminded you, if you don't do it and you're in trouble, now you're on your own. I don't know what we're going to do here yet. My wife always says she doesn't need nothing, but you know how that goes. Anyway, before we get into today's topic, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. What are you going to get from the Berkey Guy? I know it might be shocking. I know it might be earth-shattering to think about this, but the Berkey Guy sells Berkey water filtration systems, the best water filtration system out there for home use, in my view. I have one. It's getting a real workout right now. We just made a couple kegs of soda for the kids and uh, two kegs of beer, so uh, we went through a lot of filtered water for that, and... Uh, We're just chugging it back through there, and we keep a lot of water on hand at all times filtered by our Berkey. But, hey, a Berkey's a Berkey. I mean, imagine like it's like a Wilson basketball. It doesn't matter where you buy a Wilson basketball, it's a Wilson basketball. A Berkey is a Berkey no matter where you get it. So why get it from the Berkey guy? Well, first of all, do you want to be your guy that got the Berkey from the non-Berkey guy when you could have got it from the Berkey guy? Seriously, the reason to do it is because Jeff is a maniac with customer service. Things occasionally go wrong. Jeff will fix them. Jeff will take care of you. If you're not sure what you need, you call him up. Jeff will help you. And he has other great things for your prepping needs over at Directive21.com. It's his website, Directive21.com. Next up today, JM Bullion. Hey, just because I'm a fan of Bitcoin doesn't mean I'm putting all my money in it. I just actually did a video that said if... Uh, If you're worried about uh, you know Bitcoin crashing or whatever, don't put all your money in Bitcoin, stupid. Spread your money around. And one of the places that you should park some money is in precious metals. One really great place to do that is at JM Bullion. Pricing that beats Monex and Atmex cold. Every time I check, I can get a better deal from JM. And guess what? The president of the company will actually talk to me, not defer me to some third-level marketing puke. That means that if I have an issue with one of you guys, I can actually get a hold of Michael over there and say, hey, take care of this. And either he does it personally or he beats somebody about the head and shoulders and they do it. That's what I'm looking for in a sponsor on this show. Personal service, great pricing, and great service and shipping as well. That's what I get from JM Bullion. That's what you'll get as well. Check them out today, JM Bullion. Remember the Berkey guy and JM Bullion both do discounts for the member support brigade. On that note, Stephen Harris who is very well known as a member of our expert council, probably answers more questions for you guys than any other two members combined. Been on the show a whopping like 12 or 13 times and will soon be on again. Is also a discount vendor with his website of USH2.com. Again, US Uniform Sierra Hotel, the numeral 2.com. USH2.com. 15% all books and DVDs that are there. If you like what Steve does for us, consider returning his kindness by placing an order with him once in a while for some things that can expand your knowledge base. He also has knowledge publications as well and offers discounts to both sites. 
Uh, again, Steve Harris at UHH2.com, discount vendor of the day. On that note, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members, like our awesome videos of the week. Our video of the week this week was 20 minutes long. We covered things in it like pruning trees, um, the containers, uh, what's going on in our greenhouse, the construction of hugel beds, uh, goose eggs, all kinds of cool stuff that are in this week's video for members only. That video will probably be released later today. Joe's already got it edited up on Vimeo. I just need to do the uh, blog post about it. That's just one example of a great benefit of being a premium subscriber to the Member Support Brigade. And uh, if you're a military law enforcement peace corps active duty or prior service or first responder like an EMT, a paramedic, or a firefighter, all of you do qualify for a discount. Send me an email to jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put service discount in the subject line. And in one or two sentences, tell me about your service, either your existing service or your prior service. Either one qualifies for all of the jobs I mentioned. Um, with that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. Start out with our year of the episode. The year is 1299. That means tomorrow will be episode 1300 of the Survival Podcast. That's cool, isn't it? Anyway, 1299, Alex has stuff up on tspwiki.com in the uh, history segment today, 1299. Uh, the headline I'm choosing out of the three he's put up, no zeros, no way. Florence, that would be the city, by the way, bans the use of those newfangled Hindo-Arabic numerals. The abacists, meaning those who write in the dust, are resisting the concept of a zero and decimal places introduced to Europe almost a century earlier by Leonardo Fibonacci of Pisa. Since God is everywhere, the idea of nothing is so foreign to them that it is seen as unnatural. Mathematics takes one of the shorts for now. Alex's take on this, computer programmers will recognize Fibonacci numbers as the sequence of 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, etc., since it was an elementary first computer program project for most of us in college. And Fibonacci numbers can be found everywhere, like the branching of a tree and the growth of a rabbit population or a bee population, or Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, or the stock market, with something called Fibonacci retracements. Florence is known as the cradle of the Renaissance, But someone forgot to burp the baby today. Yeah, they didn't want zeros. They didn't like zeros. Because they couldn't comprehend nothing, since God is everywhere. This is where you let religion and logic collide into a way that doesn't make any sense. This is how I would have explained it to somebody. What do you have in your hands right now? Oh, God. Okay, fine, God. But do you? here's an apple, right? How many apples? I'll give them an apple. How many apples do you have? Well, one. Okay, give me the apple back. Now, how many apples do you have? I don't know. It seems pretty basic to me. But yet, fairly educated people had a hard time with this concept. And then fractionals, I bet you they really had a hard time with the concept of a negative number. Right? A negative two, a negative three. Not really understanding how such a thing could exist. And, and fractional components like decimals just thrown for a loop could handle it. Seems ridiculous. Seems like something way back there in the 1299. But it actually fits what I'm going to talk about today, which is why I chose this one. I'm going to talk about open source and business today. I haven't done a podcast on business in a very long time. I've had a lot of questions about business. For a while, I did a business podcast, over a 100 episodes, in fact, over at a website called jackspirico.com, which is pretty much in permanent hiatus right now. I don't know if I'll ever do anything else with it. 
just kind of sits there. My real passion is preparedness and teaching and business. I like to teach, but I don't want to do it every day. And I'm sticking to what I'm good at, which is also kind of what we're going to talk about today, um, which is inspiring people to do things in their lives, whether it's business or homesteading or permaculture or gaining skills or whatever it is. That's what I like to do is inspire people to take action. And I don't like to isolate myself into one space, so I focus on what I'm good at. You might wonder how that pertains to open source. Well, let's start with how it pertains to the, Flor the Florencinians, I guess that's what you'd call them, not being able to accept a zero as being valid, right? That there is a such thing. When we, we all know there is a such thing as a zero. There's zero unicorns flying out of my ass right now. There's not one. There's not a half of one. There's not three. There's zero, right? And there's probably zero monkeys flying out of your butt right now. There you go. So that's, that's pretty simple. But they had a hard time accepting this. Open source is something that the business community actually struggles very much with having any understanding of how it's really valid. Because most business in America today is, is done from a standpoint of the, the value of the business is hugely vested in its intellectual property. And that the way that you accentuate the intellectual property value in a business is to have exclusive rights to it. So... Apple is an example of a closed platform where you you can't go out and use Apple's code somewhere else. Where Linux is open, anybody can contribute, and anybody can take it and go do something else with it. And, and you, you say, well, you know, who's more got more money? And the answer there is Apple. But are you going to be Apple? Are you going to be Microsoft? And, and the answer is probably no. And The, the days of those types of businesses, I think, are largely coming to an end. They're actually, it's actually quite out of favor with, with, with individual thought that any one entity has that much power anyway, that much money, that much control anyway. That's not anti-capitalist. That's anti-corporatocracy. I mean, if you think about the way that business controls government and government controls business in this nation, part of it is because there are corporations that make as much money as many nations have for a GDP. And that's a lot of power consolidated in one place. I mean, we can look at this with, we talked about arms yesterday, and I was saying that when the founders mentioned arms in the Constitution, they were talking about what a soldier had, right? And, and one of the folks on our blog, Backwoods Engineer, you know, rightly pointed out, it wasn't just muskets, it was cannons and cannonballs and gunpowder and everything a crew served weaponry and he's not wrong he's right so when you look at that you say well then does that mean we should be able to have you know a nuclear missile that's the stupid argument and i think most people go you know what it would be really a bad thing if joe down the street just happened to have enough money to purchase and own a nuclear missile had one in his backyard and if he got pissed off enough he could launch it at somebody i think we would say that there's a a certain amount of power, even if we're willing to, to, to accept that people have a certain right to a certain level of success, that there's a certain amount of power that's dangerous consolidated into a single hand. And, and some people would say that's anti-free market or anti-capitalist. I, I don't think so. I really don't. I think that there's a point, and I don't even think it's like it should be actually prevented. It's that if the market is naturally functioning, it doesn't happen. If people are actually allowed to compete in the world of ideas and things like that, that type of dominance does not usually occur. And it certainly wouldn't in an open source model. So let me talk to you guys about 
a couple different things in, in the foundation of today's show so I can make this all make sense to you. First, I want to tell you a story about someone that was thinking exactly the opposite of open source that I met many years ago. And, and, and we almost got into like a, a yelling argument with each other because I pretty much told him he was a dumbass and I couldn't help him. This is when I was just, had just left Fluke Networks. We were still living in Pennsylvania, and I was doing some consulting and, and computer development and stuff for people in small businesses in and around Allentown. And this guy said he wanted to talk to me and come have a meeting with me, and you know, but I had to sign an NDA and all, and I'm like, I don't really give a shit about your idea. I don't really want to sign an NDA. I don't really care. Your NDA probably is not worth the paper it's written on. But the guy was like, real, like I really want you to see this. I was like, fine, I'm going to sign your NDA, and I'm going to tell you right now it's probably not worth the paper it's written on, and I'm probably not going to give a shit anyway. So I signed his NDA, non-disclosure agreement. So this basically means if I learn about anything I didn't already know about from him, I can't use it and steal his idea. This is loser language. Just steal my idea. An idea is useless. So his big idea was he was going to have this website where people could find an apartment to live in. Now, this is a long time ago, but it's not preapartmentfinders.com, all right? But his was special. His had a way that people could actually review it, as though that it wasn't already happening, and to say what they liked or didn't like about it, and the apartment could explain all of its feet, and it was just crap. It was not a bad idea for a site, but it wasn't anything that anybody wasn't already doing, and albeit he might have been able to do it better, it wasn't anything enforceable with an NDA. It was ridiculous. And what he didn't, what he thought he had was a business plan. What he actually had was a site development plan. He had no, no idea how to market this, no idea how to sell people on it, no idea how to acquire the apartments, uh, company, uh, people. He thought they would pay a lot of money to be on a site that honestly had no track record at a time when people were nowhere near using the Internet the way that they were today. But he wanted to keep everything protected. And I basically said, you need to be telling everybody about this, not hiding it, as you're developing it so that they can see it being developed. And I didn't realize what I was talking about then. I was actually talking about one of the real advantages of open source that I'll talk about more today. So I want you to keep that in mind and realize that this guy was a moron. He really had no idea what he was doing. He just had an idea and thought it was very important to hold on and control the idea, which is impossible in, in 2014. You cannot control an idea if it's a good idea. In fact, if you can control it, it's a losing business. All right. Now, the other thing happened is yesterday I did about a one-hour-plus presentation at um, Permaethos on the new Permaethos Community Farm Model. And that model is going to be an open source model. And as I was explaining it, I was thinking how it's, it, it seems like the most ethical thing we could do. And since permaculture, it should be ethical to be open source. Every seed variety we produce, we'll tell people how we did it. Every grafting technique we develop, tell people how we did it. Any piece of machinery we come up with, tell people how we did it. We will, if it's anything patentable or protectable, Put it out under open source protections, which prevents somebody, like if we come up with a seed strain, it prevents somebody like Monsanto from coming in and saying, oh, that's ours. You didn't patent it, so we're going to patent it, and now it's ours, and they have to pay a license fee to use it. We're not going to be having that. So open source is, is, is really cheap to do, like almost no cost at all, and it provides that level of protection. And it doesn't protect... You as a business, it protects the market from a monopoly of an idea or a concept that is a natural idea or a natural concept. So I was explaining that and thinking about how good that was for everybody else. 
Not for, not for my business, but for everybody else. Then I had this weird dream last night, and the dream wasn't really about the words. It was something else. And as I was waking up and that dream was ending, I heard words like I was speaking them aloud. And they were all jarbled up, like cost greater gain, resources used objective, like that. And I sat there and I just had that WTF moment. Most of you know what WTF means, right? Like, what is that? And I know from experience with dreaming, if you get up, if you do anything, if you think about anything else, whatever wisp of what you're holding on to usually disintegrates, it's gone, you never recall it again. You have to stay focused on it. So I sat there and I focused on this. And slowly I started to realize what I was thinking about. And I was thinking about open source. And running a business in an open source model, what, I was, what these words were meaning, actually takes 100% of the business's money, talent, effort and resources and focuses them on what the business is supposed to do. Because I started thinking to myself, let's say I wanted to run the Perma Ethos Farm concept as a closed business model instead of open source. I wanted to protect and patent everything that was developed and hold it under the corporate umbrella. Okay, And I wanted to have the value of a license or a patent and have a, a situation where we have this tree and this tree is ours. And we can sell it to anybody that wants to buy it. And if you want to compete with us, you have to pay us a fee to compete with us. That that would be, in some ways, beneficial to the business fiscally because that would mean that we have exclusive rights to that and we have a product that if we market it well, it will outsell other competing products. And even if somebody wants to compete with us with that product, we still get a piece of the action. This is how modern business thinks. Okay. So then I started thinking to myself, okay, I'm trying to get a business off the ground. I need to raise about a half a million dollars, throw in about five grand of my own money, attract people that are talented to do the work for next to nothing in the first couple of years, um, get people to believe in it, get people to support it, get investors to be patient for a couple of years before they see any return on their investment, even though they're taking a high-risk play to begin with. i got to do all these things, and I need minimum a half a million dollars to do this right and, and keep the whole concern debt-free right from the get-go. Okay, fine. Great. How do I do this and get it done? And so, you know, just open source was the natural ethics fit for permaculture. Well, I was thinking this morning when I was sorting this concept out, hey, wait a minute. How much would it cost me and how much resource would we be spending if we were trying to keep everything that was innovative under wraps? What would the patent fees be? What would the legal filing fees be? Someone went out and used it, and we want to actually enforce our patent. What would the cost of the enforcement be? How much manpower, how many hours would it take to be out there and, you know, fighting a system that I don't need to fight versus just doing what the business needs to do? And as I started to think about it, I realized that there's such a burden that business carries today and trying to own and protect and, and, and patent every single thing they do to be exclusive with it that business has an entire sector spending billions of dollars and freaking millions of man hours just to protect and control ideas. And that, that means we can't possibly be putting out the best product. We can't. Because no one outside the circle of the people that love the idea, that, that feel it's their own, can innovate the idea. They can't take it and build on it. So 
Taking this back to permaethos, let's say we came up with a really awesome, low-chill cherry variety that grows in Texas where cherries generally don't do very well. Now, wouldn't it be great if someone further south of us in an even warmer climate could take our work and start to evolve it and prove it further and come up with their own variety based on ours? And wouldn't it be great if we said, hey, let's trial that here because they made it work even further south. We pull a little bit further north. As long as it doesn't have a negative effect, maybe it'll work even better. And we brought it back and it worked even better. And then we took that and we used it with some type of another cross doing some type of a plum cherry cross. And that whole dynamic would have never happened because my concern does not have the resources to be able to trial it down south further, further those genetics and send it back. And that's just one example. And doesn't that actually benefit my company more, even though a supposed competitor took a hold of it? Now, am I saying there's no place for patents at all? I, I don't know. I can see places where I could make a very compelling case for why a technology or something should be patented or trademarked. Because the whole business is based on it. But is that business really doing the best service that it could be doing because of that? Or is it able to then sit on an installed base and say, hmm, this is ours? I mean, th look at it this way. I was the first person, absolutely the first person, to put up a true survival podcast in the genre and format that I'm doing right now. Should I have been able to trademark the term survival podcast and say no one can actually do a podcast and say that it's a survival podcast? Should the first person that ever did a podcast been able to say, well, I came up with podcast. You're going to have to call your cast something else, a survival cast. And then I own it. It starts to get really stupid if you start thinking about it that way. But when we get into certain technologies like let's say a computer chip or something like that 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 goes faster than anything ever did before and a company's got millions of dollars of resources tied up in it i can see why they'd want to patent that so you have to get that chip from them but is it really the best way to serve the marketplace and is it actually necessary or we have have we become convinced that it's necessary just the way that the people in florence were convinced that there's no possible way a zero could exist Just because we haven't seen it ever exist doesn't mean it can't. And when I look at open source, especially for smaller companies, I think it's a much better model. It's a much better model. Yeah, if you want to be a trillionaire someday and own half the world, maybe patenting still is the best model. But if you want the greater chance of success, then I think open source is a better model. And I would point to sites like Indiegogo and Kickstarter It's examples of how true that is. You see some stuff on Indiegogo and Kickstarter that has patent associated with it. But in general, what you see on those sites are people with an idea. They explain exactly how they're going to implement the idea. They have very little in the way of legal protection from somebody else stealing their idea, which is total loser language. And they say to a community, if you want this, back what we're doing And we'll give it to you. And hopefully we've conveyed to you the value of what we're trying to do, how it will make your life better, 
and that we've shown you through demonstrating how we'll implement it and telling you our plan that we have the confidence to make it happen. So you can trust investing with us. That's as open source as it gets. And I'm telling you, if somebody went on Kickstarter, I'd say, ah, that was a great idea. But everybody who's going to be part of my Kickstarter has to first fill out an NDA on my website, then I'll send you the actual video that tells you what it is, and then you can invest in it. I don't think they'd raise shit for money. And I don't think they should. It's completely against the spirit of Indiegogo and Kickstarter. Indiegogo and Kickstarter proofed that if you actually want people to get on board early, before you actually even can deliver... That by going open source with the ideas and concepts and products, you get them to do just that. I also want to kind of talk to you about a fundamental reality that I've dealt with with business people for a very long time and consulting with them about blogging and the Internet and all. The average person, when it comes to the Internet, from a business side standpoint of what they're doing online, is a moron. I am sorry, and I'm talking about some of the smartest people in the world in business when it comes to their websites and what they say and what they put on the internet. They are morons. They actually believe that people are really paying attention to what they're doing when they're small. And they're not. Now, that doesn't mean you should be stupid with your website. That doesn't mean you should say things like, well, I just think we should round up everybody of a certain kind and kill them. Because that, that probably will sooner or later get out and come back to haunt you, and it should. Right? But, They're like, oh, we can't put this up till it's perfect. Well, why? Well, people are looking at it. Who? And you pull up their stats on their existing website, and there was like five people on it yesterday. And you're sitting looking around the office, and there's like five employees. And they all have the company website as their home screen in their browser. And you're like, do you see a correlation here? No one's paying attention to you. And it's not just business people. A lot of you guys start up a blog and you're so paranoid to put out your first couple posts. Nobody's watching. Nobody gives a shit. If it sucks and I come to your blog and it sucks, you totally stink up your first couple posts. And I leave and go, man, there was nothing there worth subscribing to. If I come back to your blog three months later and there's good, valid content there that I'm interested in, do you know what? I will never remember it was you that sucked. Okay? What does this have to do with open source? When you're trying to get a business venture off the ground, you want as many people paying attention to you as possible. And if another company actually takes a piece of what you're doing, especially a big company, and uses it under open source, you just got a million dollars worth of publicity for free. Open source, I believe, is the most powerful marketing tool that's currently untapped that there is. I think one of the big success stories of open source is more what holds it back, Linux. People wonder, well, if open source is so good, how does Linux make money? And what people don't realize is that like, in, a, in a Linux model, what's been done is the commercial product itself is no longer what's being sold. Support, integration, development, um, making it work with existing systems that you have, finding what you need. Um, there's a company called Red Hat, a Linux business, Linux-based business. They charge nothing for software because it's Linux. Um, in 2011, Red Hat revenues exceeded $1 billion. 
and their investors received an eight times return, eight times over the S&P 500 in an open source model because they're selling the value of the integration, the value of, here it is, you can use it. You can do whatever you want to with it. Oh, you wanted to do that and you don't know how. Okay, well, we have forums and stuff like that. Oh, you can't figure it out. Okay, we have people that will do that for you. Oh, you don't know if it's right for you in the first place. We have people that can analyze. See, and that is the open source model. The, 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 the real value that Microsoft or Apple could bring to the table is how to get the most out of their products, not the product itself. I don't know if Microsoft or Apple could be as big as they are in an open source model. I really don't. And we won't know until somebody tries it. Until somebody, but I mean, if you look at Android, right? I mean, don't you think there's a lot of people making money with Android? And, and I want you to think about it this way too. Let's think about it in a smaller business model. If you were to go out and do something in any space, where you're truly the innovator, and it really takes off, and your worst fear happens. This is the worst fear for small entrepreneurs that, that use loser language like steal my idea. 20 big companies all grab your idea and go do their own thing with it and do all wonderful things and make billions of dollars, and they pay you nothing. Okay? If that happened, you would become one of the most sought-after speakers and consultants in the entire world of industry in your sector. There would be people paying you $10,000, to show up and talk for an hour to people about how you came up with the idea. In our society today, the person that actually originates concepts is now like a rock star to the people that value the concepts. The individual has the ability to acquire value from his customer, even if the customer doesn't buy from him. And I, I think part of the problem is open source companies have not made people aware of their success in a lot of ways. And, and people look at, again, you know, another company that's an open source company that you wonder how the hell do they make any money is WordPress. I've been a WordPress user for almost 10 years, never given them a dime. They've never asked me for any money. And the truth is they have all types of ways that they can make money. Corporate blogs that use Akismet spam hosting are supposed to buy a license for it. I don't think they enforce it, but... They're supposed to, and most of them do. Um, web hosting. They make money with web hosting. They make money with advertising on the free blogs that they provide as a hosted service. Uh, premium accounts. So some people don't want to go like just download the software and upload it themselves. They want uh, a premium WordPress, uh, but they don't. But they want to do it on WordPress servers. There's a way to do that. Um, referrals, uh, support. And, and, and some pr premium services. There's a ton of stuff that are put out by WordPress itself. It's premium plugins and things like that they make money on. And they don't, but they don't really talk about it. They don't really explain, like, we're successful and have money. Which I think maybe is a mistake. I think part of it is that open source companies kind of want to be seen for that positive ethics thing. And somehow, sometimes seem to think that if they're, if they're upfront about the fact that, hey, we're really profitable too... That they'll lose that kind of cult following, like, oh, these guys are in it for us. And I think that's just because there's a disconnect between customers um, and, and between companies, where customers really think that it's wrong that the company they're doing business with sometimes make, makes money. That's insane. 
If a company you're doing business with doesn't make any money at all, they're not going to be there for you. I can't tell you how many times that I've, I've found a piece of technology and I'm using it with a blog or something else or a website. And it's not a downloadable piece of technology that I can download, take, and hold on to it and put it onto my server and control it. Right? It, it, it's something that, like, it's free, but it's hosted. It's on their servers, and I have to, you know, use an API to attach to it or something. And then I'll, I'll think, if I'm going to make this part of a website for myself or for a client, and it's going to be there for a long time, and it's going to become a critical component of us serving our audience, how do I know that it's going to be there tomorrow? And I'll look into it, and if that company doesn't have some way that customers can buy an upgrade, I'm very hesitant to use it. Because I know it's only a matter of time before success kills the company. If you give away everything for free, you never charge for anything, and you have no revenue model at all. If you get enough success, you're dead. Sure, well, 15 people are using it and your $25 hosting service a month can handle it. It's a hobby for you and you think it's cool, you can run it. But when 10,000 people are trying to use your hosted solution and you're not charging for anything and you have no income, you're dead. So I'll actually turn away a totally free solution, even if it's a great solution, if the company can't demonstrate that it can make money. And as I think deeper about it, I've realized... The Survival Podcast is and has always been an open source business model. I have certain things I ask you to do for me. If you're going to put my content into anything commercial, I want you to tell me first and get my approval, mostly because of how I'm associated with what you're doing. And if you're going to do some crap like, you know, Food for Patriots nonsense and 37 Things to Hoard and all these other sleazy things, I don't want my brand associated with you. But pretty much anything ethical of some, like Paul Wheaton recently did a USB drive. Had a whole bunch of his podcasts on it and a bunch of other cool stuff. And he's like, can I use some of your podcasts on it? Yeah. He's like, well, do you want anything for it? I'm like, no. Go ahead. I don't care. It's you. You're cool. I love what you do. Take it and run with it. I have actually explained from day one exactly how the MSB works. There's nothing backdoor about it that nobody knows about. And anybody that wants to can emulate my business model. My good friend Brian Black over at ITS has a membership program that runs almost exactly the same way. When he was thinking about setting up, he's like, I feel like I'm ripping you off. I'm like, if you're worried about it, just say, hey, Jack consulted with us in setting this up. Go ahead, do it. I don't care. Be successful, man. So I've hidden nothing. I've When I got on the air for the very first time, I said, okay, no one's listening yet, but we're going to make something out of this and do this together. And together will be whoever shows up the first week. That will be the first people. And then I said, if you guys will help me get to where I can do this full time, I'll commit to you to always doing a show for you and putting my 100% of my all into it for you. And I've told people what microphone I use, how I edit my videos on my business podcast, Five Minutes with Jack. I actually showed how I level out audio and I, I provided 100% information as to what I'm doing and how I do it. So that anybody that really wants to set up a podcast can go, and that stuff's up there, and I make no money off that at all over there. I never really monetize that. There's a few banners over there. And anybody that wants to can go over there and take all that content and do anything they want to with it. And, and I just keep it up because it's it's kind of like, okay, if you want to do this too, go ahead. There's my sponsorship program, which is in, entirely unique. 
Nothing's ever been done like what I do with sponsors before. For those that are new to the show and don't know, when a sponsor wants to be on the air, I go to my moderators in the forum and say, vet this guy. Vet him. Check out eBay if they sell on eBay, what their seller's reputations are. Look at the better business. You just tear this guy apart. There's like 28 moderators. If two or more say, no, I can't take the sponsor. Check in hand, begging to be a sponsor, can't take them. Sorry, you were declined by the committee, which I have no oversight over. I do not participate in the discussions. I simply said, you know, it's we're not here to judge are they priced the way we think they should be or what have you. Are the, qual are the products quality? Do they do what they say and say what they do? And do they have a good reputation in the market or do they screw people over? That's what I want you to check out. If, it's, if anything feels wrong about it, you tell me and they're out. Well, that's unique, and it's why I have sponsors. Uh, probably tomorrow I'll release a video of the official presentation of Safe Castle's five-year plaque. So it's why I have sponsors for five years and a freaking podcast. There's like four more going out in the next couple months of five-year sponsors. Though that program's unique. But the uniqueness of that program wouldn't mean anything if I'm like, I, I don't want anybody to know how to do this. So I've told you everything that I do in my business. And you can judge the success for yourself. Because in a way, I've done everything wrong. My original podcast had horrible audio quality. I still put a lot of typos in my, my show notes. But in the beginning, since I was doing it on the fly, sometimes on a phone, um, were far worse. It, it, there were times where I just went and snapped that gasket beyond what I should do even for theatrics, and I never hit it. Um, for two years, the show was just me ranting. There was no guests. There were no interviews. There were no call-ins. There were no high-quality audio at all. Even when the audio got really decent, it still wasn't good. But I just kept doing it, and I was totally upfront about what I was doing and why I was doing it. And when I monetized the site, I said, this is what I'm doing, and it's so I can make money. And a few people bitched. I can't believe you're going commercial and selling out. Okay, whatever, goodbye. But most people stayed for the ride, and they enjoyed the ride. They were part of the success, and now the customers of the Survival Podcast, the community members, the listeners, feel like this is as much theirs as it is as mine, and I hope you do. And if you are a person that listens, but you've never engaged the community in the forum or the blog or you know the, 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 uh, the radio room, Zello room, uh, or, or in any other way, please do, because you have no idea what you're missing. It's the most amazing thing in the world. And the only reason it's turned out this way is it's been an open source model, even though I didn't know what that was. I really didn't understand open source when I started this. this I, I just like, there's no reason not to be open with everything. Just tell everybody everything that you're doing. And that's the marketing genius in it. If you're developing something as a company, whether it's a product for a greenhouse or a computer algorithm or what have you, If you put it out in an open source model, what happens is very, very talented people who you don't pay any money at all show up and tell you what's wrong with it for free. In the business world, we call this consulting, and generally every consultant has an agenda. Every consultant wants to tell you the other consultant's wrong and pay them the money, and every consultant is more concerned with how much they can bill you than how much they can really do to make your product better. So in an open source model, when the consultants show up, 
It's because they're genuinely interested in what you're doing. They have expertise. They want to see you succeed. And they believe that they can contribute by telling you where you're wrong or where you could be better. And many of them are willing to not just be a consultant, but actually somebody that implements a solution. So they don't only show up and tell you what's wrong. They say, here's how to fix it. And then they say, oh, you don't know how to fix it? Let me have access and I'll fix it. And they fix it for you. What is the value of that? And can you imagine being a young startup business that runs an open source model that every day reports to the marketplace, this is what we've done, this is what we're working on, this is what we're doing next, and then eventually, if you do that long enough, because there's like one person going, yay, and one person going, boo, and there's like two people, like your fanboy and your hater. That's it, right? But one day there's like 10 people paying attention to what you're doing. And then there's like 20, and one of them is one of these guys that's helping you. And then he starts telling his programmer buddies or hacker buddies or whatever it is that you do, hey, man, check out what these guys are doing, man. They're cool. I'm helping them. And then like he's like, dude, I'm part of the team. right? And all of a sudden, you've got in a whole market, and I don't care what space it's in, paying attention to what you're doing while you're developing and improving a product. You couldn't have a better marketing plan. There's no such thing as a better marketing plan than that. Well, what if somebody takes and does something awesome with it, and I don't get anything out of it? Don't worry. If they take it and do something awesome with it, you probably were going to ever do that awesome thing. You were never going to get there, especially a small company. You only have so many people. But you can have twice as many or four times or six times as many people by letting people help you. And if you deserve loyalty from your customers, they'll give it to you. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to say that again. If you deserve the loyalty of your customers, they'll give it to you. And if you do not deserve the loyalty of your customers, you won't be able to force them to give it to you anyway. Microsoft can do something stupid enough to lose half its market share tomorrow morning because they have a lot of people up there employed specifically to make sure that does not happen. They probably won't, but they could. How many times have you seen a celebrity make one tweet and fall from grace and then be slaughtered by the media? And not only do they just hammer that one thing, then they go, ha, this is hot, and they dig into it and they tear it apart and they find every little thing they can dig up from the past to destroy the person they loved yesterday. This is the mentality of mainstream America, and it's the mentality in mainstream business. I think we need to change it. I think we need to move education to an open source model. I, I really do. I mean, my rant on education yesterday, people were upset with me because they're like, you're not putting enough blame on the parents. Hey, parents get plenty of blame for their kids. But you know what? When the kid shows up in the morning to go to school, until the end of the day, the school controls how that's run, and we're running a system that's outdated. My problem with teachers isn't that you're all crappy teachers. Some are good, some are crappy. And I don't think it's wrong to point out that some of you suck at your job. I don't think it's fair to the people that are good at their jobs to not point out that some of you suck. I know when I had people working for me doing programming and development, the guy that sucked eventually got fired. And the guy that was lackluster, I'd say, you need to be like Bobby. Bobby kicks freaking ass. He's better than you. You need to be shooting to be as good as Bobby or better. And if you didn't like it, you want to cry, you're fired. Welcome to the real world. 
But my real problem with teachers is you know your system's broken. You know it's outdated. You know that there are kids in your school that you and the administrators and other parents are calling a problem that are not the problem. They are a round peg and you are trying to jam them into a square hole. They do not fit in your model. And because you have no other place for them to go, and because your paychecks are dependent upon the system, you're defending a system that's lost the battle with time. It's outdated. What if we could make education open source? What if every person that wanted to be in the business of education was free to do so? Just free to do so. I could just start Jack's Academy tomorrow morning. No problem. Do it online, do it in, in brick and mortar, do it anywhere I want. No more compulsory education. Your kid can go to public education or you can go to private education. It's up to you. As far as how do we work out the tax bill, the schools only get to spend so much. I would like to just get rid of it, okay? I just, just no more property taxes, no more school taxes. If you want education, you got to figure out how to get people to pay you. I'd be fine with that. But let's say that we're going to do something more realistic for the, the current time. Schools should have a cap. School districts should have a cap on how much tax they can collect based on the number of students. Not just the schools with more students get more of the money that's available, but like the whole school district itself is just to be like, you don't get any money beyond X dollars per pupil. Okay. And how did that number get set? School board, state, federal government? I don't know. But there should be a number. Like, that's it. And when somebody leaves your school, you stop getting that money. That reduces the burden on taxpayers. So every time somebody in the open source world can take one of your students away because you're not doing a good enough job, right, you lose money. And you don't get to use the force of law to compel the student to stay. That student can go to any system they want to, including one totally for free, one that charges money, any system they want, period. But what about you don't get to worry about what about? You have to compete to get people to come learn from you. What about students that won't do anything at all? You let your parents worry about that. Or if you really would feel better about it, they have to be in some type of educational program. Well, whoop, requirements, and they don't get any. Okay. Now, the thing is that we take all of these educational programs from private institutions that run a very formalized school environment, Kind of like a high-end version of public school, uh, like you might get if you go, went to a Catholic school for your education like I did for a few years, which is it's terrible, honestly, if you're a person like me. But you have that type of institution. You have the public schools, and you have the homeschoolers, and you have the unschoolers, and you have the people that are like Khan Academy or Connections Academy and all of these places. And all of them just said, here's everything we do and how we do it. And here's our results. And then parents could look at that and students could look at that and go, I like that, I like that, I like that, don't like that, hate that, love that. I'm going to pull all this together for my curriculum this year. And they were open source with it. And they said, hey, look, uh, one of our kids is kind of like this Jack Spierko guy. He's got this stuff they used to call Asperger's, and now they call it autism spectrum disorder. He needs to be left alone when he's working. He gets very upset if you d disrupt him when he's in a flow And he's interested in like 20 things and doesn't give a shit about 20 other things. So we, we made sure of the things he doesn't care about. He has enough of those like reading and basic math to understand the other things. And now we're letting him go and he's doing this and it's working really great for him. And then we have this other kid that is more suited to the 
conventional model of education with hours uh, required per day and, and a complete subject, uh, uh, you know, a complete portfolio of subjects. And this is working really well for her. And we found that by tailoring this to these two individual students, both of them are achieving great things and furthering their own education a lot faster than they would be in a conventional system. That's what homeschoolers are doing, but what if it was an open source model? What if there was absolutely no way to compel a person, you must choose this or this? It would be, you choose what you want. It's your life. It's your life. You choose what you want to learn, how you want to learn it, and free children to learn as fast as they can. But what could be done in a business like that? You know, what if every educational institution from kindergarten and pre-K all the way up to universities and doctorate level, made everything they did open source. Well, it's going to happen whether they like it or not. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to participate in it, but other people are going to make it open source. See, the problem for the education system is you've taught all these people, and many of them are like totally dissatisfied with the system, but they really dig like this one thing that they learned, and they're really good at that, and they're just going to take it, and they're going to make that open source. I mean, colleges are doing this already. There's colleges where you can take any course they offer for free. I mean, Harvard. You can go to advanced classes at Harvard on the computer for free. Now, you don't get credit from Harvard for it, but you get as much knowledge as you want. And they probably feel like, well, you know, our advanced business course is so advanced that unless you've taken these other courses, you'll never understand it anyway. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I know things your people teaching that course don't know about business. Maybe I can take a piece of what you did and open source it with what I know in street smarts and put people on a track to business success a lot faster than you ever will. Because in business, unlike school, success is measured by actual success, not somebody else's opinion of your opinion. I mean, you do realize that unless we're talking about mathematics or specifically recalled facts that a lot of what's done in schools today, a grade is based on your opinion as a teacher of somebody else's opinion as a student. Maybe their opinion is actually more valid than yours. Well, that can't be true in science. Well, it can. I just responded to somebody on the blog about yesterday's podcast, and I stated factually that when I was in high school in the 80s, I had certain opinions about physics that I was basically told to shut up about, that I needed to write down what was in the book, and who was I to tell them what you know to think about physics. And a lot of these things are acceptable now today. In fact, considered valid theory among people that are you know in quantum physics. Now, I couldn't give you the math that these geniuses can, uh, but the basic concepts, like instead of the Big Bang and expands into infinity, a, a repetitive universe that expands and contracts at all time, and there's no real origin or beginning. Everything already existed. It just changed form and spatial relationships with each other. Time is meaningless. It is only a human concept. I actually wrote a paper on this. I got <laughs> F. Yeah, I had to, uh, I had to beep that out. Uh, with just, I actually said the word because I was back in the moment for a minute. Um, but you can imagine what word actually was used. Uh, in that little sentence I just said there. And I apologize for that. It's one word I don't use on the air because I did. I, I wrote a paper postulating these things in physical science class in 10th grade, and I got an F on it. 
because I didn't cite any sources, because there were no sources at the time. These were just my surmations about the way things probably worked. In an open source model, that idea would have been put out and examined by others and postulated on and torn apart and built upon at the same time by competing camps that would compete over the idea and determine whether or not it was valid. How is this not a better way to run a business? How is this not a better way to run a nation? I mean, should our government be open source? Shouldn't our government be open source? Shouldn't like when when they're actually talking about changing something, shouldn't we actually have all the information that they do about why they're going to change it? Oh, there's certain things that we can't know because they're protecting us from terrorists who live in caves and we're going to bomb them with a cruise missile and if we Okay, fine. There are probably some things even though they're overblown in some areas, there's probably some things that, yes, would be security clearance only level knowledge. It's probably 1% of the total bit of information that these ass clowns use when they make decisions. I mean, we were promised the most transparent, open government in the history of the United States by our current president, and we've got the most murky, light-about, diluted form of government that we've ever seen out of Washington. You know, it's a disgrace. We had a promise that our president would make all legislation known in full for five days before it was voted on, and then five days before it was signed into office. That that promise was broken. Almost every single piece of legislation that's come out of this administration, that promise was broken. This is the same people that told us we had to pass a bill to see what was in it right after a guy was elected on the promise to always make it reviewable before it was voted on. Our government should be open source, including we should be able to look at it and go, this isn't working. We'll go make our own government over here. You just keep doing what you're doing, and anybody that wants to participate can participate. Oh, that's anarchy. You bet your ass it is. And that's what I think open source in business really is. It's kind of like an organized corporate anarchy. And I think that that's where the best ideas come from. Don't you think Windows would be better than it is today if it was an open source platform? I mean, don't you see a lot of problems with Windows? Windows kind of runs a cycle, by the way. Pretty good, really shitty. Pretty good, really shitty. Pretty good, really shitty. Huh? Right? 2000? Pretty good. Millennium? Or 98 was pretty good. Millennium? Pretty shitty. XP was pretty good. Right? I mean, it, it just seems to run this this cycle of shitty to good, shitty to good. Like, they, every time they have a new version, they have to make a bunch of mistakes with it so they can get to the next version that's pretty decent. I don't think Linux has that problem. I really don't. Anyway, I know this is a different type of topic today, but I think it actually starts to speak to a lot of the evolution of society as a whole that we're going to go through. I think from a survival standpoint... We have to be aware that the general population of the world is not happy with the way things are. Let me say that again. The overall general population of the world is not happy with the way things are. And I do not just mean poor people in impoverished nations that don't have any food to eat. I'm talking about developed nations, what we refer to as middle-class style people, educated people, in general, is a general mood are not happy with the way things are in society today. 
they see a very unfair world, a very tipped scale to one side, and in some areas it's people who do not achieve envying people who do, and and the right is right about that. But on the, on the same token, it's also genuine inequity, and the left is right about that. The problem is that the left and the right, and when I speak of that, I mean those in power, don't actually mean that when they say that. That's just their marketing. But the marketing's accurate. That there are people who feel genuinely that the world is unfair because they're losers and they don't try and they still think they should succeed. But there are a lot of people who feel the same way, who are not losers, who do try, who do work very hard, and who do not get a fair shake in the current system. But regardless of that, the general mood of the average human being right now, I don't know if you're getting how important this is yet, I'm about to explain it. The general mood of the average person right now in the world is, we are not happy with the way things are. Do you know what that always leads to when enough people feel that way for long enough? Gonna start a revolution. Hey, hey. Right? A revolution. Some revolutions are peaceful and quiet, like permaculture. And some revolutions are bloody and violent. Some revolutions, even when they're bloody and violent, lead to something better, like the American Revolution. And some revolutions that are bloody and violent lead to horrible things, like the Communist Revolution. But one way or another, when the general mood of a society is we are not happy with the way things are long enough, sooner or later, a catalyst or group of catalysts will happen. And what they will do is they will shift the society to a new paradigm, a new reality. And that means that we are on the cusp of a revolution. It will probably be a mix of people. It will, it will, it, I tell you what, probably nothing. This current revolution will be global in nature. And it will not be a single thing. It will be the largest combination of micro-revolutions in the history of our planet. Because ideas are now open source. Beliefs are open source. Concepts and technologies are open source. Communication is open source. People now have the ability to share ideas at a greater rate than any other place, including what works and what fails and what they're upset about and what they're not upset about, what they like and what they hate. And the genie's never going back in the bottle. We're not going back to Little House on the Prairie, folks. The Internet's not going away. It's not going to happen. If it does, it'll be a very short-lived thing. You know, outside of the world of the asteroid that ends all life on Earth, except for three people, and it's you with your MREs. You know, outside of that freak occurrence, the general course of that, if we have an economic collapse, the Internet's not going to go away. It's not. It's just, it just isn't. So we're going to get this burst of micro-revolutions, four or five a year for the next ten years or more. And some will be longer than others. Some will be a, a dismantling and rebuilding of a system, like in education. I, I, I know people think I'm, I'm just making this up. I'm telling you, in ten years, 
you'll look at education and you'll wonder why we ever, ever did things the way we're doing them right now. You'll go, what, what was wrong with us? What was wrong with us? Why did we put children into buses and send them miles from their home under the guise of integrating them with people with a different color skin? I know that doesn't really go on anymore, but it did when I was a kid. There were children that went to my school that were on a bus for 40 minutes a day, twice a day, just to get to school. There were some that were on a bus for an hour a day, both ways, so two hours a day, just to get to school and home. Because there weren't enough black kids in my school. If you think about that as a preposterous concept, it doesn't make any sense to put a young child onto a bus and travel for an hour when there's a perfectly good school they could walk to five minutes away. Well, that school wasn't as good as your school. Fix the school. Don't force the child to go where the child doesn't need to be. And I don't mean that from a racial context. I won't, I wouldn't care what school my kid's going to. Unless I specifically said, I want my kid in this school. Why are you making my kid go an hour away from his home to get into school? And then you have teachers giving him two hours of homework a night, which is the exact amount of time he's spending on a bus. It's, 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 it's nonsensical. You're breaking a community apart. And I think most people today look back to that time. And realize it was a stupid idea and we should have never done that. It was a really bad idea. Well, I think that 10 years, 15 years from now, the average person will sit and think sending all the children to the same type of school, teaching the same curriculum, the same way, was really a stupid idea. It was the dumbest thing we ever did. How did we get as far as we did with this dumbass idea? Why did we do this? Because we're going to have that as one part of a revolution. I think economic revolutions are going to... Like, I tell you guys, I think Bitcoin's worth using. And there's the conspiracy series. The latest one is a guy I actually know. I've actually met the man. His name is Matthias Chang. It's, it's the new global currency. That's the plan all along. And, and Matthias is a sincere man. Very sincere. He believes what he's telling you, but he doesn't understand money. He doesn't understand the people that run the system don't understand money. They understand power and control. They have neither the creativity nor the innovation to create something like Bitcoin. Doesn't mean they won't try to co-opt it. I think that's where he might be right. I think the financial elites may turn to something like cryptocurrency and say, we'll just embrace this. But our version's better. Or we'll take it away from you and make it better for you. Who knows? Pfft. That's the first shot across the bow, man. Big, people that are in the Bitcoin world that think like, oh, this is the this is the holy grail of money. This is just a step. This first shot. This is Lexington Green in the revolution. That's what this is. This is Concord and Lexington Green in the Revolution. We'll take on a whole new life, a whole new avenue of things. People will begin to exchange value for value more directly than ever before in the, in the future. The concept of a Bitcoin is just one way to enable that. It's just a system of accounting. And that's, that's going to be expounded upon. There are people that uh, promote the idea of what you call a resource-based economy. 
it leads to ah, socialism and death in the end, the way that they're presenting it. But they're not totally wrong. What they, the problem is, is that it always leads to we need to control and make this happen through a guided hand from someone in power. Where the truth is, it's a natural occurrence if people are set free. Open source is the kind of like, the first step in that direction as well. The power of the human mind is yet to be fully reached. We don't really know what we're capable of. I do know that most people are not malevolent. They don't really want to hurt somebody else. I've seen it in too many places from too many people that supposedly should want to hurt you that don't. People commit crimes because they feel it's their only option. And yeah, there's the 1% of society that are just asshole sick people that probably need to be locked up for the rest of their lives. There's a hell of a lot more people in prison than that, though. And there's a hell of a lot of the, the psychopaths walking around free while people that really don't need to be in prison are in prison on stupid shit like drug charges. There really is. And this inequity is being felt all over the world. I thought this show was going to be about open source, and it kind of was, but what we're ending up on is this, this new paradigm a shifting world. I've talked about it before, but I think that I've never even conveyed to you because I've never even really taken in how big these shifts are going to be. This isn't going to be just a shift economically, a, a shift psychologically, a shift technology-wise. It's going to be all of those shifts and more. You might not recognize the world in 10 years. And revolutions have shown us in the past that can be good or bad, but it's always bad for those not prepared for it. And it's more often bad than good, at least initially. Because in a shift, you end up with power vacuums. And the people that are psychopathic and bent on control and believe that they are better than others and believe that their life has greater value than the lives of others, there are people like that. And they seize upon these moments to in increase or grab control. Of a situation, and some of them actually think that they're motivated by good. If I can just kill enough people that are in the way, I can make everybody else happy and more and more well off. I mean, there are people with that twisted vision of reality. Very few people do evil for the sake of evil. They do evil for the sake of the greater good in some twisted version of their mind, where they have a right to control other people, and they can only do this through secrecy. Do you think the Gestapo would have worked if it was open source? I mean, you know, do you think NSA could work in an open source model? Let's all get together and figure out how to spy on each other. Uh, we we don't really want want to do that. That's that's really not, because you'll be spying on me too. No, I don't want to. I don't want to help you. Just saying. It seems ridiculous to us now that we would live in an open source society where most companies did business this way. Where it was actually like, you're not open source, you're not cool, man. I don't want to buy your stuff. It seems ridiculous. But to the people of Florence, the concept of the zero was ridiculous. Well, how many monkeys are flying out of your butt right now? One or zero?
How many unicorns have farted you a rainbow today? One or zero? And if it's preposterous that society will go through a series of revolutions in the coming 10, 20 years that will dramatically shift everything about society, how would you rate your satisfaction with the way things are on the world if you have two choices? One, perfectly happy, and zero, unhappy with the way that things are. Oh, you only get a one and a zero to choose from? We call it binary code. On and off. It's how society actually works. You're either satisfied with the way society is in general purpose, or you're not. There's a lot of zeros out there right now. A lot of people in the off position. And when there's enough, they're going to reach a tipping point. And they're going to reach it in different regions, at different times, over different issues. And they are going to shift power in those sectors, regardless of the wishes of others that are still on the one switch, and regardless of the programmers, which are those in power. It, the power is going to shift. The systems are going to be rewritten. You know, Bitcoin is just... Uh, it's, Bitcoin is nothing really miraculous. It's a symptom of a disease. It, it, for, for money to be so destroyed from its true value that somebody would just privately create a new currency and do so in a way so radically different from anything that we know and have it succeed. There's no reason it should work. There really isn't. This is why so many people, myself included, were skeptics of it for so long. There's no reason it should work. There's actually every reason it should work. But there's no reason it should work. Why would I want to put my money into a nebulous cloud that all kinds of people hack and try to make better every day <laughs> with a public address where people can send other computer credits to or I can send computer credits to them when I can have the dollar that actually I use to pay my mortgage. Why would I ever want that? Why would I want that versus a silver coin I can hold in my hand that I can go look on a computer and see the number that it's worth today, feel good about it? Or a gold coin, I can do the same thing with. Why would I want that? But yet it worked. That's how screwed up the economics of the world are. That somebody could create an algorithm and a peer-to-peer -peer computer network that people would turn to instead of the other options that they have, given to them by the people in control. And... It's open source. If you want to make your own version of Bitcoin, you can do it tomorrow morning. And if you don't know how, there are people you can hire that will help you do it. We could make TSP coins. Don't ask. I'm not going to do it. But we could. We could. And I think that, you know, if you look at permaculture, there's a concept of something called lets. And lets are basically community currency. So if you have a local community of people that trade with each other eggs and milk and cheese and all that stuff, and not everybody always has something the other person wants, so you create these things called lets, which are like community currencies that have denominations and values on them, and they're just printed by the community and they're used as an exchange so that I can get your milk today from you and give you a let, and what you really wanted 
uh, I don't know, was rent it so you could make cheese, but I don't have any. So you hold on to that let, and then you go to somebody else who sells it, and they'll take that in exchange because they know they can come back over to me and get eggs. And then when you go outside of the community, you use their money, but inside the community, you use your money, and that way you keep business in the community and you build the vibrance and value of the community. If you're going to do that, man, create freaking permaculture coin, you know, and, and create a private one just for your community, an internal one. It's better than a let's. It's got a public auditable record. It's just a system of accounting. And for a small community of a couple thousand people or less, it could be run on any good off-the-shelf $600 PC. Maybe one more for a backup in case that one crashes and run it as an intranet. That's not closed source. That's just, it's only for us because we're the only ones that care. And that's just one way that this platform could be used. Do you know we could use it for voting? Do you know that we could use the blockchain for voting? We could actually actually create votingchain.com. And every person that votes, that registers the vote, could be given a, a certain amount of uh, vote chain coins that actually are not tradable. They're not tradable. They can only go to vote and back. And when you vote, you would send a fraction of your coin to all the things you were voting for. The system would read them and send them back to you, and we would eliminate voter fraud with an open-source voting model because everybody could audit it. There would be no way to commit voting fraud. Well, what if I give my coin to somebody else and let them vote with my coin? Then you voted that way. Then you chose to vote that way. Hey, democracy, right? That's why we don't have a democracy. That's why we're not supposed to have a democracy. We're supposed to have a republic. Wouldn't it be cool if we had an open source republic? But now I'm just, I'm just dreaming now. I hope you got some value out of today's show. I hope it's made you think. I hope the two things that you've taken out of it is if you're going to build a business today, the most valid way you can build a business quickly to success today is to be totally open to the whole world about what you're doing. And if you have any inkling in you to build something of your own, get on with it. Do it. I just had somebody email me and say, what was the greatest contributing factor to your success when you started Survival Podcast? My answer is one word, work. And what was your biggest obstacle? And, and, and the answer to that is a desire to not work when I needed to. That's it. It's the whole thing. So get on it. Don't hide it, though. Nobody's looking. The entire purpose is to get people to pay attention. No one wants to look when you're hiding everything you do. No one even knows they're supposed to be looking. There are people that are building businesses for two years before they quote-unquote launch and have never said a word to the public about them until the day they launch. And then when they release their amazing website or whatever, no one shows up and they're actually surprised. Of course no one showed up. The world is changing. The other thing I hope you take away from today is there will be massive revolutions in the world, in every sector of society, shifts. And you need to be prepared for them economically, psychologically, skills-wise, because the world that we think is stable is dramatically unstable. There are, I would say right now in the United States, there are probably 20 percent of the total population that doesn't work that should be doing something useful something useful there's more than that on government programs and things like that 
that, but, you know, the people that genuinely are just sucking the tit and could be functional and are not, just because it's an option to not be functional, there's 20% of our entire population doing that right now. And they're gonna, we're gonna run into a place where we can't just pay them to exist anymore. They're gonna have to do something. The dangerous part is, there are probably 20 to 25% of people out there right now with jobs, and you're gonna be mad. You're not needed. You're not needed. You're not necessary. And I don't mean somebody could do your job for less. I mean, we could eliminate your job. We could either do it with technology, or we could just have no one do it at all. And it wouldn't really change the world if you weren't there anymore. And that number used to be higher. And then we had the Great Recession, 2008, 2009. And a lot of those jobs that went away, I'm not saying that people were bad people, but a lot of those jobs that went away, they didn't go overseas. They were eliminated. I said this when it happened. I'm like, when it happened, I said, these jobs are never coming back. The employers figured out you're not necessary. They've eliminated your job completely. They didn't outsource it. They eliminated it. It's gone. Well, there's probably another 20 to 25% of the workforce that still could be eliminated. The main reason companies keep them employed today is because they have the money to do so, and they know if they got rid of them all... They would crash the economy and they wouldn't have any economy to do business in. It's like an, it's like a backwards tax. But sooner or later, that reality is going to come to a head. There's going to be far less people working and they're going to need something to do if we're going to make anything happen. And we need to start thinking about how do we improve the climate so that people that want something to do have something meaningful that can be done. And we have to change the paradigm. The educational paradigm is the way it is because of the industrial paradigm. Hierarchical structure, businesses develop big presences and dominate the market, small players pick up the crumbs, Boss tells the sub-boss, tells the sub-sub-boss, tells the sub-sub-boss. It's just like a school. You can't give the schools all the blame. Industry created the school system to be a mimic of itself so that it would produce cogs for the machine. And it's done a fair job of doing just that. But those days are coming to an end. So what you really have to think about to yourself right now is how do you prepare yourself for a world that's going to shift in every way that you can conceive of and several that neither you nor I can conceive of right now. How many people got destroyed, destroyed economically between 1980 and 2014? Well, some did really, really well. And not just the wealthy few in the one half of 1% and all that crap. No, there's plenty of people that really benefited by the technology shifts 1980, no internet. Computers were crap. You know, video games were things like Space Invaders. People listened to music on things called records and cassette tapes. And the music industry was scared of tape decks that dubbed one tape to another. They thought it was going to put them out of business. <laughs> you can't make this up. We had something called Beta for watching movies on. It was like a giant DVD before there were DVDs. I mean, people thought bell bottoms were still kind of cool in 1980. I, it, it's, it, it's unbelievable. 
The world that we live in today versus the world of 1980. What was a loaf of bread or a dozen eggs in 1980 versus what it is today? If you told somebody they were going to be that much more expensive in you know, 35 years, 34 years, 24 years. Yeah. No, 34 years. They, they, would, have, they would have thought you were crazy. But it is. The shift occurred. But the shift is now accelerating. Countless jobs eliminated. You guys think, you know, when I was talking about teachers losing their jobs and you're like, well, at least it's not me. Yeah, it's you too. It's you too. Unless you figure out what to do with this next phase of, of the world. There will be certain trades that will always be valuable. Here, I'll put it to you this way. If, if a trade was valuable in 1950 and it's still valuable today, it will probably be valuable in 20 years. Okay, But if, if the trade that you're doing has only been valuable since, let's say, 1985 or 1990, and you haven't evolved with the technology, you may not be highly valued for much longer. And then you have to take the other side of that. That's just one way of looking at a hard skill. Because the other side of it is, what's being done with technology to eliminate the need for you? What do you do? What do you do, and is there any way that technology can do your job? And would you really be missed if you weren't there? And our ego will tell us, oh, yeah. We're shifting to a world where I think this open source concept is going to be the way of things. Because it's going to be the only way to succeed. It's going to be, honestly, the only way to get enough people involved in solving problems to get them solved. I think we're going to go with open source education, open source industry, and on some levels, we'll have an open source government. Oh, it won't be our government government. We'll create our own governments in an open source model, starting now. It's already happening. I don't know where yet, but it's already happening. There are already people doing it, I guarantee you. There will be governments that are open source governments. That people will say, we're just not going to take our problems to the government anymore. We're, it's going to be basically an organized anarchist co-state where people choose to voluntarily associate with other people and say, we'll solve our problems here via this mechanism. If you don't think it can happen, people in Florence didn't think a zero could exist. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, we follow all the rules.
Revolution is you.